Are you tired of people always telling you what you want to hear and not what you need to hear? Me too. Are you ready to actually do something about it? Hi, I'm Lauren Lahav, and for the past 30 plus years, I've been blessed to speak and to impact thousands of people around the world. I've shared the stage with the world's top thought leaders, including Barbara Walters, Tony Robbins, Barbara Corcoran, and Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm also a personal development, lifestyle, and business coach, event producer, and entrepreneur with businesses in over 25 countries. I'm a wife and a proud mama to three and a bonus mom to one. Trust me when I tell you, it took me many years of buying into my old story of I'm not enough and lots of grit to finally let go of the BS. So I understand firsthand what it means and what it took. They don't call it the school of hard knocks for nothing. This podcast is my way of breaking down the BS filters of what we say, what we do, and how we interact with others. I will be sharing what worked for me, yet more importantly, what didn't work for me. This is a no fluff podcast where we will address real life issues, real issues that seem to surface when you least expect it, relationship conflict and breakdowns, and real solutions. I will share from my life experiences and those of other everyday heroes, as well as the world's top experts are all here to help you grow through the process of letting go and finally expressing your true voice, who you are and what you stand for. In a world of political correctness and living our lives on social media, it's hard to know what is real. And are you taking in so much information, but not applying what you've learned? In my life, I always look to the people who understand what I'm going through and are willing to get honest and forthcoming with me to help me grow through these challenges. Trust me, I've had them all, and I'm going to take the time to be as real as possible and get to solutions. I've had financial issues, parenting issues, marriage issues, emotional issues. You know, the list goes on. I've learned from my challenges, I've grown from them and continue to learn from them. I see them now as opportunities. With this podcast, we're going to tune up our lives. I'll be your cup of espresso to get you through whatever you're going through in your life that's holding you back, to give you that confidence and trust of knowing someone is there to help and guide you, yet you have to do the work. So strap in, hang on tight, and let's get real. Welcome everybody to the podcast. Wow. I, I mean, as I was just sharing, I wore this necklace. Everybody that can't see it, this listening on audio, that I wore this in honor of you. I usually wear the same old thing, you know, and I'm like, nah, today this feels like the right necklace to wear. So get ready, everybody, for your heart to be unleashed, um, for you to take, I think, the next 45 minutes to really realize how blessed we are. I mean, that's how I was, that's how I was feeling when I was reading about your book and about what you've been through. So let me share a little bit. Amy Downs is truly a miracle story. When she was 28 years old, she was described as lazy, a college dropout who put on an extra hundred pounds. And on April 19th, 1995, she was working with a credit card loan as a credit card loan officer at a federal employees credit union located in the federal building in Oklahoma City when she found herself buried alive. 
upside down and in the basement in a nine-story building with 168 people killed and more than half of her colleagues dying from the deadliest act of domestic violence in American history. She was one of the last people pulled out of the rubble alive. And uh, in her new book, Hope is a Verb, My Journey of the Impossible Transformation. I just, the quote that I read that you talked about, like when you said, I was hanging upside down in the aftermath with no idea um, what had happened. And I love how you said that you confessed to God that your work here wasn't done. <clears throat> and you told him that if I, if I lived, I would change my life. And I think we hear a lot, of, and you said no more excuses. I think we hear that a lot, but you have really, really done it. I think it said there that you, after six hours, you'll share, I'm sure, a little bit with us. But I thought the coolest thing <laughs> is that you really lived up to your commitment to God. And you saying that you know, now she's the CEO of the exact <laughs> credit union that, that crumbled to the ground in 1995 and wow what a what a story she also is a mama and she became uh, she lost over she released over 200 pounds and, and complete <laughs> competed in ironman triathlon obtained her mba um but wow i'm i am so honored to be speaking with you i can't wait to share you with the world so tell us a little bit about you survived the bombing which i didn't even realize that it was april 19th which is my husband's birthday. I don't even think he knows that. Um, but tell us a little bit more about that day. Maybe walk us through the events of that day from your perspective. Sure. Um, you know, April 19th, 1995 was a normal day, normal spring morning. Um, you know, and I think for a lot of us that have these near-death experiences or you know, the medical diagnosis or the divorce that hits us when we're not looking, you know, all these traumatic things a lot of times come at, at, at us when we are just floating through life, everything seems normal. And then all of a sudden, in, a, in an instant, it's not normal anymore. You know, hello, a year ago, right? COVID comes at us and all of a sudden we are all, you know, walking through, honestly, a lot of trauma because so much has changed in our lives over the past year. And for me, I'm just, you know, at work doing my normal thing, which honestly was, you know, living a very complacent life. I was not doing anything intentionally or living with purpose. And this bomb goes off. And for me, I, I was sitting at my desk, a, a coworker who was seven months pregnant walked in, she sat down beside me and I turned to ask her what she needed. And I don't know if the words even came out of my mouth. I just heard this roar in my head so loud and I could hear people screaming and this woman was screaming right in my ear Jesus help me and it was my voice I didn't even recognize the sound of my own voice and I was falling and I could feel just this rushing sensation I did not realize I was falling three floors well wow. I landed I was buried under 10 feet of rubble upside down and just screaming, help me over and over again with no reply for about 45 minutes. When men came in looking for the daycare babies and I started screaming and they heard me, 
when they found me, they had to follow the sound of my voice. They, they uncovered my hand. I thought they were going to just, you know, one, two, three, pull me up and out. But about the time they found me, found my hand, I'm thinking I'm getting ready to be free. This is when I hear all these men yelling, let's go, let's go. There's another bomb. We have to go now. Wow. And so now I've realized it was a bomb. There's another one and I can't get out. I'm stuck. So it was that period of time when they left me that I had, you know, what people talk about when they have life flashing before their eyes. And that's where you're, you know, I, I was thinking I'm getting ready to die and I'm 28 years old. I haven't even lived. Like I, I it just all of a sudden I had such clarity about how I should have been living my life. Mm. And that is when I went through, you know, what you were talking about, which is that bargaining, like, please God, like, I just want to do over. I want a second chance. I, I, I want to get out. And uh, when they did finally get me out, which was six and a half hours later, and, you know, thankfully these men got me out in one piece because there was talk of amputation for a little while. They put me on the back of a gurney, took me out of the back of the federal building. And I remember looking up at the sky and taking that first breath of fresh air and just promising God, I will not live my life the same. And, you know, you read off, I, I, I hear all those accomplishments. It sounds amazing, but like, I have to tell you, I didn't, you know, run out of the hospital down the steps with the Rocky music playing. I mean, it was a slow, difficult journey. And it was also so small, you know, just those small, consistent steps over time that I look back now and I'm like, yeah, wow, that does sound kind of amazing. But I don't even know that it felt amazing in the process because it was such, you know, so slow in these small steps over time. It's very interesting that you say that because if you think we say something like how you do anything is how you do everything. And even how you survive, like one, you, even though you heard that another bomb was going off, you, it seems like you had, did you have any certainty that they were going to come back or did you just have hope that you didn't have any hope that they were going to come oh, back? No, no. I, I was telling them my name and to tell my family, I love them because I knew this was goodbye. I did not, it never crossed my mind. There was really not another bomb. So like my reality was I'm going to die. I wonder how they marked, did you ever ask them, did they mark the point where they found you? I mean, because yes, did they do that? They had marked the Well, they, they had, they described it. Once they went out there, one of the, the men, he was an FBI agent, he went out to try to get special permission to go back in the building because he felt confident there was not another bomb, but they had to get clearance and he was describing where I was located so they would know where it was. There were a couple of things though, that you said, that you said that you got clarity, clarity about how I should be living my life. And I think right now, you know, like, like you said, when this whole change in the world happened last year, I think a lot of people got clarity and some people started to make some shifts, but you talked about the consistency of making those shifts. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think I always say, I think people wake up for a while, but then they fall back asleep. I remember after 9-11, like all these people, you know, said what they were, even, you know, that what they were going to do and how their lives were going to change. And they did for a while. Or I remember when it happened, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. I'm in Las Vegas. And when the shooting happened here, um, then I started doing these, 
you know, uh, blessing bags that I was taking out. We were originally scheduled to do them for Thanksgiving. And I'm like, no, we need to get them out to people that were standing in line, uh, giving, you know, to give blood or people that were um, the nurses at the hospital or the um, FBI agents that came to town. And everybody's like, Lauren, stop, just stop. They've got enough stuff. And I'm like, you know what? People wake up for about two weeks, but then they fall back asleep. So what happened with you? with regards to when you talk about that consistency, because I'd love to know a little bit more about how you took that back into your life. Mm -hmm. Well, so, you know, one of the things that, that happened is my organization, we had over half of our staff was killed and we lost our only location. So we had to like reinvent and build ourselves really fast or we were going to be destroyed. Through the process, actually a business, and setting goals and action steps, that's actually how I learned to change my personal life because I, my boss was a mentor to me. And I remember she said to me one day, if you had a magic wand, what would you do? And I was hesitant, you know, the magic wand question, but then she was like, no, there's no wrong answer. You have a magic wand. And somehow it was like, oh yeah. Okay. There's no wrong answer. I have a magic wand. Somehow that just sounds, yeah, that's logical. So I started spouting off all this stuff. And then she said, now this was what was really important was given your current situation and your current limitations, what are the smallest things you can do right now? Write those things down. This is your action plan. Well, I walked back to my desk and, you know, I was thinking my personal life is such a mess. I'm 200 pounds overweight. I still hadn't figured out how to get traction in my personal life, but yet I was doing great things at work. And I thought, maybe this translates over. And I remember I took out an index card and I thought, I wrote on one side of the index card, I want to go back to college. And that may sound simple, but I had flunked the remedial math class, like not even the legitimate one, but the one you have to take before they let you take the real one. And I, like my first steps were so simple. They were like, find the phone number to LSU, get your transcript, like really simple. And the way I stayed grounded where I didn't keep forgetting it or, you know, I mean, that's a struggle, right? We all want to drift toward complacency. Mm. But I developed a habit in the morning of reviewing my goals, just reviewing it and letting that sink in so I can't forget it. So every day there was this, I want to go back to school, whether I took action that day or not, like it was there, it was hanging there. I couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. And then that developed into my same mentor. She told me about a practice called doing a painted picture, which is basically, you know, where you design your future self. And that's where you, you know, say, I'm going to make a statement right now about what, what my life is like, but then I'm going to write a paragraph about what it's like as if I'm already there. And I do believe that that does something in your brain. I know science tells us that it does. And I know all of a sudden it changed me because I began thinking these things were possible. I love that. I'm sitting here. I'm like, amening you over here. I don't know if you can see me amening you. I love how you said that the truth is that the people drift back to complacency. And it's funny because I just did a Facebook live talking about that. What, what really do you do every morning? And 
you know, and mine is all about my identity and who I need to become. But like you said, I mentioned in there about reviewing your goals as well. And like, who do you need to show up to, you know, as today? How are you going to show up? I'm obsessed. If you don't know, um, I've been doing manifestation boards for like 30 plus years. My, I, more than that, my mom found some when I was 12 years old. But I, you know, I love everything you say. So taking an index card, so an exercise you would say to everybody is what? Take an index card, start small. I'd yeah. love to just talk about the index card for a minute. What it was. was. So it was an index card. And <laughs> it's funny you said the board because I want to pick my camera up and flip it around to my current board. So now the little index card has morphed and it has now become like, you know, let's get out the glue and the pictures and the like, make the fancy board. But it's whatever it is for you that you need to do to keep this idea present in front of you and in your mind. Yeah. But then not to get overwhelmed because we can do that to ourselves and break it down to the smallest, simplest steps that are so easy that we are likely not to even procrastinate it because it's so easy. I love that because um, I think about when I wrote my first book, and it was before everybody was writing a book. It was 26 years ago. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to spend 15 minutes at the end of every night. And whether it's, there wasn't really the internet or Amazon with books and, you know, that you could go review. So I remember I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble. I'm going to buy a book and then I'm going to review if I like the cover of it or I like what I want to model or I'm going to send this person or that or I'm going to write one chapter, right? So I love that. So just bite sight bite-sized things that you can do. So let's, yeah. I have to ask you a question because I'm curious and I don't know if I want to know the answer to this or not, but the girl that was beside you, the pregnant girl that was beside you, did she survive? No, she died. And what did that, what, what did that, um, I don't know, what was the feeling? That was, that was very, um, that was very hard for me. And, um, okay. So we're just going to be real here for a minute. Okay. We don't always just love everybody we work with. And sometimes there's a person in the office that kind of gets on your nerves. And I am ashamed to say this, but she got on my nerves. And I look back now and I was a silly, silly, young, immature person because she was a wonderful person. But for whatever reason, I think I was jealous of her happiness. I don't know, but she got on my nerves and I was actually ignoring her. She had sat down beside me to ask me a question and I answered my phone, signed on my computer, like took my sweet time. And when I turned to ask her what she needed, I did it with irritation. I like if I would have eaten, the bomb went off before I could ask her, but it would have come out like this. What do you need? Like it would have. And I, I live, I, I have lived with a lot of guilt over that because, you know, what if I would have answered her quicker? Maybe she would have gone down the hall. Maybe she would have been okay. I mean, you're not supposed to do those things, but you can't help it. And so that has been very difficult, honestly. What have you, what have you learned from that? Or how have, what have you learned yeah. from that? So, you know, it's funny, you, it's funny that we're talking about this. Um, just this morning, um, I had an all staff meeting um, with my organization and I decided to talk about um, loneliness and how we need to reach out to each other. And, and, and even if it's just 40 seconds, make a connection with somebody and that 
life is short and it's important that that we show each other we care and so it has colored how I treat people at work I mean I for a long like I send the mushy emails I don't care I, I don't care you know who it is if it, it, I'm gonna tell them like I love you I I don't want to sit at somebody's funeral again with unsaid words yeah or the regret that I did not treat you with the respect that I should have given you and like you said those aren't just words for you those aren't just words like you have like you had that experience and i think so many of us we we hear it and like oh yeah 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 people are like yeah yeah like cherish each moment and then you're like really i remember once when i was driving to go get my daughter from school and i had a car accident and i remember in that moment like looking i'm like oh my god is the person you know in the other car are they okay and you, like you said, like in, in a million. So let's fast forward. Um, it sounds like you've learned a lot, applied a lot. Uh, you are freaking CEO of the same credit union that you were working at back then. Um, could you talk a little bit about your credit union um, didn't fold after the bombing? Um, what, kept them, what kept them going? So we were left with a handful of employees. And the thing was we had clarity that we did not want to merge. We did not want to go away. And, and what happened was we, it became personal because the women, it was almost, it was almost all women and the women that were killed, we felt like if our credit union went away, that somehow their memory went away. So it was like this weird, like the credit union has to make it because it keeps their memory alive. It was like a weird thing that became very personal. And so while everything was stacked against us, we had clarity. We're going to survive. We're going to do what it takes to survive. And then it was attacking it literally just one action step after another, doing the next right thing, the next right thing to just keep moving forward. And grit, that is how we made, honestly, that's just how we made it through was grit. It's so funny. I don't know if you're, um, like I'm, I'm taking notes obviously as we're talking here and the same thing that you said got you through about the clarity of how you should live your life. And then you said to be consistent, you said the exact same thing about the, about the, about the, um, credit union. You said the same thing. You said we had clarity and that we were consistent on, I love what you just said of doing the right thing every day with regards to that. And, uh, as you know, we're always, and, and that's really pretty much what you just talked about is most people have stinking thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And they give up or they, they don't think about, they don't give it a big enough why. And you guys gave it a really big why, like you said, the, the memory of all of the women. And we always say right in the South, we always say, if your why don't make you cry, it's not your why, right? So that's, let's talk about your mentors. You talk a lot about your mentors in your book and who helped you along your journey for you to be the amazing woman that you are today and the importance of mentorship and what yours did for you specifically. Oh, I, anyone out there that has anyone following them, right? Which most everybody's a leader, whether it's your child or somebody at work or somebody looking up to you, you have the power to make a big difference in their lives. And that's what happened to me. My boss, the CEO before me, she took the time to mentor me, you know, to teach me, to show me things. 
she also had faith in me and saw in me before I even saw it in myself. So, you know, in this day and age, a lot of, a lot, especially as we get older, a lot of people talk about leaving a legacy and what better way to leave a legacy than to mentor someone like you have made a difference in their life that lives on, you know, and to me, that's all about like living with purpose and helping others in all of that stuff. And that's exactly what, what was done for me. And that's my hope is to do for others. Well, you know, I, I, amen, sister. I'm like here, I'm like, I could tell we're going to be friends for a long time. Um, But what do you think, you know, lots of people have the opportunity to be a mentor and they just don't step up and do it. What do you think about her say, I'm, you know what, Amy, you're, I'm, I'm taking you on sister. Like, what do you think she saw in you? We always say, you know, that she saw, my assistant talks about that time. She goes, Lauren, like you gave me hope again, but what do you think she said, I'm taking you on, Amy? No, I don't know if this is true across the board. This is just my, this is what I think. She had a growth mindset. So she was someone who was always reading books and learning. So she was hearing things um, about leadership, you know, from some of the greats. And so I do believe it's because she was constantly learning and she was hearing that it's important to bring someone up along with you. And so she was intentional about it. And I think the reason people don't do it is they don't think about it. We get caught up in our day-to-day routine. I got to go, I got to do this. I got to do that. And we get so busy and we are so busy and our calendars are so full. We don't have time to mentor anybody. So you've got to be intentional about it. And you have to really stop and think. And think I heard you say this earlier, who do I need to show up for today? Like, who do I need to bring my best self for today? And that takes being like, kind of thinking a minute about your day and who do I need to, to really show up for? Yeah, I love that. And the first person, yeah, I know that, you know, we talk about leadership, that they're, the first level of leadership is to lead yourself. And you definitely <laughs> have done that and walk your talk. I would love to talk. I've never done an Ironman. My son, my eldest son is talking about doing an Ironman now. And I know many people have done an Ironman, but I've done a marathon. That was like the, I I finished it. We don't need to know my time, but I'm just curious for you. I know it prompted me to do the marathon, but I'm just curious what prompted you to do the Ironman and how did, let's talk about this because this is maybe. I love, I love Ironman. And and I think that's so great. I'd love to talk to your son and know which one he's going to do and all the scoop. I you know, it was a, it, it's that, it was that leveling up, that constant leveling up. I mean, you know, I, I, I wanted to do, you know, first I wanted to run. I wanted to do a half marathon to honor my friends who were killed because we have one in Oklahoma City that honors the lives of those that were lost in the bombing. So first it was that. And then it was, well, maybe I could do a full marathon and then somebody said, you know, if you could learn how to swim, you could do one of these things called a triathlon. So I signed up for a sprint distance, which is the baby, baby mini triathlon. And I got a swim coach five weeks before the first marathon. So basically this is called jump and build your wings on the way down, like sign up for the event. And then I go get the coach, but that's what I did. And so I just, and then I did it. And then it was like, okay, well maybe I could do a longer distance and a longer distance. And then one day I heard some people talking that they were a group of people from Oklahoma City were going to go do this Ironman. And I thought, oh, I don't know that I could do that. 
But then I thought about it and I'm like, well, why not? You know? And so, um, you know, it's like anything. So it sounds like daunting and it is, but I trained for, you know, 14 months and it, it's like a marathon, right? You don't get up, put your shoes on and go run the marathon. You first run a mile and then you increase it every week and you increase it every week. Well, the Ironman was the same thing. It was a, it was a constant like increasing and leveling up. I, shoot, I can look at it now and think, my gosh, how'd I do that? <laughs> but when you're training for it, like you're ready for it because you're, you're doing it. I love that what you said about, you know, jump and build your wings along the way. My friend, he says, say yes, tell the world, figure it out. Right. And so it's that, it's that saying to yourself, yes, I'm going to do it first. I'm going to do it. I'm, I did the half to honor my friends. Like you said, that were lost in Oklahoma. Then you said, all right. I need to take swim lessons, which is what I would need to do, just FYI. And my husband, we were just, my husband runs five miles a day, no matter what. And I was telling him, you know, I'm in that menopause stage. And he's, and I'm like, I gotta, you know, I gotta lose more, you know, release that weight. And my husband's like, but you gotta run, run a mile, just run to the gate and back. And he's like, it's they're not gonna be, it's not gonna be fun. Right. And I think that's a lot of things. It's not always fun, even when you say yes to these things. Can you talk about that? Yes, because I, I can, because it isn't. And so what, and I don't know if this is true for just me or others. I have to try to make it fun. Okay. Because if it's, I mean, no, it may not be a big party, but I have to get a level of enjoyment out of it, or I probably won't continue doing it. So for me, what that meant was building community around it. And also, if I can teach something or lead something, I'm more likely, I'm not going to let other people down. So I started coaching a run group at my local running store. And that held me accountable to run because like I'm the coach, I'm going to lead the group, you know, and I just, so I found ways to sort of try to gamify it. Um, I used, you know, there's a lot of endurance athletes use a, a app called Strava and, you know, we, we post our stuff and I would post stuff on social media. And so I found ways to try to make it fun. And, and then I did a lot of visualization of the finish line. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm talking, I, I, I can't believe I'm telling this. <laughs> I'm talking like I would be out for my run and I would start pretending I was on the finish line and like posing, <laughs> like posing how I was going to pose on the finish line. And yeah, like picture it. My mentor, one of my mentors, he, we were talking about reclaiming the queen within us and that so many times we kind of get in that I'm an aspiring queen, like when I arrive versus like I am the queen. So he made me do an exercise where I was walking down the road and I imagined everybody to the left and to the right of me that they were from the kingdom thanking me for leveling up, right? But it's interesting because now when I walk out my door, I'm so conditioned, not from an ego place, but of like, I've got a big, you know, I have a responsibility to my community, which is something that you talk about a lot. I love that you um, talked about that of your community and a lot of your friends who had trained and some people didn't fin finish about. Mm -hmm. So there's times, like you said, that when people are promoted and another one isn't promoted, what lessons have you learned about that? You know, like I said, it seems like that. Yeah anything is how we do everything what, what happens what have you noticed as the CEO or just in business in general you know it's 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 hard and I you know sometimes 
you know, a person doesn't make it and, um, you know, it's for, it's, they tried, like it's maybe reasons outside of their reach, right? But then you might have other people who don't make it and it's because they didn't do the work, right? And so what I've noticed is those people, I think tend to, um, a lot of times those relationships don't make it through, you know, and maybe it's a, a jealousy, I'm not sure, but there's a, it, sometimes everybody doesn't come along with you. Yep. And so the people though, that I think try and want to learn from their, you know, why they didn't make it or whatever, those relationships are usually fine because those people are usually not bitter about you making it and them not, they just want to learn and grow and do better the next time. And so they don't, you know what I mean? It just, I think you, like, I think you remind me, you remind me a lot of myself. Like the reason I initially wrote a book was I did it because I wanted to inspire others to tell their story or to get something that they were passionate about. It wasn't about me. It was like, I'm going to do something so that I can lead from the front. Right. And it sounds, I mean, from what I noticed and what I look about, you know, I look at your, your story in photos, if you would, and I'm putting you on my manifestation board with regards to this, the iron, you know, the Iron Man photo of you. But don't you think that when your intention, and I think you said this in the very beginning, is to, when you said just, uh, what did you say that I loved it? You said something about just doing the right things, those good actions. Um, what did you say? Doing, you said doing the right thing, you know, the right actions, the next right thing. Mm -hmm. When you're doing the right thing that pulls you and you want to do more of it. It's, it's momentum. Yeah. You start getting momentum because you're like, it, 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 it breeds itself over and over again. Cause you're like, Oh, I did that thing. Like I did that thing. And sometimes, you know, even though I say, I try to make fun and all of it, sometimes it's not, sometimes you gotta do something you don't want to do, but then there, there, like running used to be that way for me. I hated running, but I loved finishing. I loved being done with it. So I would be like, you know, I would just think about the part I love, which is being done with it. And then that would make me want to do the next thing because I felt a growing confidence in myself or keeping my promise that I did the thing I said I wanted to do. Okay. You did a big mic drop there. Cause I'm going to go running after I'm going to do my mile run after this, because I love what you said. You didn't enjoy, you didn't love running, but you love finishing. I love finishing. I mean, there's nothing. I love reaching the mark. Right. And so that, and not, and looking at that once again, that's going to give me momentum to do the next thing. Yeah. But process, I would always say, I have a trainer that comes over three days a week. I'm like, I can't wait for the day that I actually am excited about him coming over. And he's like, Lauren, you're never going to get excited about me coming over because I'm always going to be pushing you to become better to the next thing. But like you said, it's the finishing part and know that you did it. Same thing with me. And when I did the marathon, I was supposed to do the 19, I was over in Africa in Malawi and I was supposed to do the 19 mile. I had like how I was going to run with all the people in Malawi. And of course my luggage got lost. And I know, you know, you have to have the shoes that you're going to run in before you do that. And I came back and my coach was like, you know, you didn't do the 19 miles. So we think you shouldn't do the whole marathon. And I'm like, I don't think so. I'm doing that whole marathon. <laughs> There's no way I am not going to do that. And like you said, cause, and I saw myself finishing, never saw myself on mile 20, 
right? Always saw myself on mile 25 when I had that mile plus whatever finishing it up. So let's, um, it, like the parallels are so the same. I also love that you love to garden. And um, in your book, you mentioned that you use fertilizer in your garden to transform your grief into hope. Wow. I got it. I, I got to know more. Yeah. So there was just a moment where, you know, I was out in my garden and I was, you know, putting some fertilizer down and just not really thinking about anything. And then all of a sudden it hit me that what was in my hand was the same thing that destroyed all those lives, you know? And, you know, I think, you know, when you look at your life and you look at the messiness of your life and you look back and the thing you thought would kill you or the thing that you thought would destroy you or the biggest disappointment in your life you had, many times we look back on that and say, you know, if that thing hadn't happened, then this other thing wouldn't have, you know, by the time events start compounding, it's now part of your journey and you wouldn't be where you were if you hadn't walked through that dark time. It's not that you wished it would have happened or anything like that, but it's just messy, right? It's just messy. And yeah. that was kind of just a moment for me where I realized, you know, there's the power for good or for evil in the same thing. It's wow. how you apply it. Wow. That's, uh, that's another mic drop. You're just dropping mic drops all over the place. You know, Tony Robbins always says it's in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. Mm. What's one decision, um, that has transformed who you've become after all of this? A decision to end a relationship. And then what, what did, what was that to say? How does that, how did you know that it was a must for you to end that relationship? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from the South mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm older. So I'm back from, you know, in a time frame where, um, you know, you didn't ever get divorced. Mm -hmm. that, that was not something you did. And so, um, so for me, making a decision to, um, to end a marriage relationship was uh, not light. Um, and so after 23 years of marriage, I actually got divorced. Yep. And so this isn't a, oh, yay, like go get to, I don't, I, you know, don't misunderstand me there, but it was a very difficult decision, but it was also very necessary for my health and my well-being and had I not made that decision, oh, my life, I can't imagine what my life would be. I mean, my life is so great now. And it opened me up to have so much love in my life. And it was very hard and a difficult thing. But yet, I can't imagine my life had I not made that decision. So you jumped and you built your wings, just like you said before. I, I'd say that's probably the hardest decision I had to make as well. I was, you know, I'm from the South. I'm from North Carolina. And um, it's like you said, it's not like you go into a relationship thinking, I'm going to get divorced one day, right? Like, I'm not, that's not how you think about it. But my, my grandfather, I guess, would say, you can be a good pot, you can be a good top, but that doesn't mean you're meant to be together, right? And, we can, and so, but like, look who you've become. 
So then final, two final, two finals, how about that? Um, what is something that you do to stay true to yourself? I ask everyone the same question. What's something that you do to stay true to yourself? So to stay true to myself, um, it has to do with that morning routine. I journal every morning and I'm very, you know, I think with achievers, we have to be careful because we, we won't be honest with ourselves. And that's gotten me into trouble in the past. Um, you know, just lying to myself that everything's good, everything's fine. So I am very honest with myself on my journal. And if I'm depressed, I say I'm depressed. And if I'm, and I, I really look at how I feel, what's going on with me. And I have my core values and I look at those core values. And that is to be, you know, positive, intentional, and empathetic. And I want to look at that and make sure my life and what I'm doing and how I'm acting and how I'm showing up for people is aligning with that. But I have to take that time every morning to kind of center myself and, and know that I am. And I, and I also pray and I, that's, that's just my routine of what I do to, at the end of the day, you take the CEO away, you take every, all that away. Who are you really? Yep. Like, who are you really? If all that goes away, who are you? I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm just like amening it again, because for me, it's what you do first thing in the morning. That's the most important thing. I wake up every day and I say, today's going to be the best day of my life again. And I just assume the day is going to be great. And then the, I love what you said. I'm going to be positive, empathetic. And what was the third one? Intentional. Intentional. And so, you know, I would encourage everybody, what are those three things, those three values that you're going to stay true to? Mine is if I say yes to this, am I staying true to myself? Right? So instead of I, before I've sold out or knew something wasn't right or knew that person, I said that was the last question, but I'm lying because I have to ask about something that I think a lot of people are experiencing now, which is feelings of um, anxiety, PTSD, burnout, uh, burnout, scared, don't feel like they have a compelling future, don't know what tomorrow holds. You went, you literally went through that. So from the experience, could you share what, what advice you would say to people? So what I would do is I would, I would encourage you if you're discouraged, if you're lonely, if you're burnt out, if you're depressed, if you're dealing with anxiety, all those things, right? If you can just take a little time and really allow yourself to dream for just a minute, I don't care how many times you've been hurt, let down, failed, whatever, right? Pick yourself back up and dream a minute. Just dream a minute. You have a magic wand. There's no wrong answer. Be true to yourself and answer, what would your life look like if you had a magic wand? And then, given your current situation and your current limitations, what are the smallest things you can do right now to start moving in that direction? I love it. Well, this has been awe-inspiring. I am really looking forward to reading the book and sharing the book with all of my people in the inner circle. I'm definitely going to get it for them and uh, so many more people. And where can people find out more about you and your book, Hope is a Verb? Hope is a Verb is on Amazon, and my website is amydowns.org. Awesome. Well, I look forward to us keeping in touch and 
thank you for who you are and how you do what you say you're going to do and living consistency and uh, just being such an amazing example for all of us. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for providing this podcast for us. You're welcome. All right, everybody. Can't wait to share. Make sure you go to 26786 and put in true and you can win one of Amy's books. Thanks, everyone. How awesome was today? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends to join as well. I'm here for you with fabulous content, great guests, and lots of giveaways. To learn more of how I have taken what I've learned, applied it to my life, helped others find their true voice, text TRUE to 26786, which will give you my top tune-ups and a complimentary 15-minute discovery call with one of our coaches. And remember, keep in touch with me on Instagram at I am Lauren Lahav, Facebook, Lauren Lahav Official, Clubhouse, Lauren Lahav. Make sure you text TRUE, T-R-U-E, to 26786. Text TRUE, T-R-U-E, to 26786. And remember to always stay true to the amazing person you are.